Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and in today's episode, I interview Cindy Bellardo, CEO and founder of Menstrual Mates. Menstrual Mates believes that menstruation is a beautiful and natural process. They are creating a community where everyone can feel safe and they're dispelling the taboo surrounding menstruation. They're dispelling the taboo by just talking about it. We need to talk about periods in order to get it to be normal. Um, in this episode, we discover the history of menstrual cups. I learned a lot, like I always do. I learned a lot about menstrual cups, and we talked about the biology of toxic shock syndrome, the thing that you could get from tampons. You cannot get it anymore. Uh, we learned all about the biology and that it was a certain brand with a certain chemical. And so if you've ever wondered about toxic shock syndrome, we actually go into that in depth today. If you want to support Menstrual Mates and learn more, you can go to their website at menstrualmates.com. Hey, Cindy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being on the show. I cannot wait to learn more about you and your background and Menstrual Mates. Yes, can't wait to share. <laughs> We've been talking a lot about... Um, periods and fertility. And, you know, there is just like so much space still to be covered. And I try to keep these interviews to 45 minutes. Sometimes we go over, but, you know, I, I just love continuing to get different people's input and different perspectives on women's health. So I'm really excited to hear yours. Why don't you start by telling our listeners about your background, Cindy, where, you know, where are you from? What did you study and how did you end up in femtech? Yes. So I'm originally from Oklahoma, and I studied at the University of Oklahoma in environmental studies, pre-medicine. So it's kind of been a, a journey to finding my passion for health. Essentially, that's what it came down to. And I've recently relocated to Indiana. Uh, my partner's here in Purdue studying and just kind of getting acclimated to this entrepreneurial scene here. And I've launched my startup company after a series of events. First, it was a grant that we won. So my friend, my boyfriend and I, we applied for this project for peace. And I never thought it would go this way, but essentially we wanted to talk about menstrual cups mm -hmm. and in his hometown of North India. And we kind of learned that more was needed than just talking about products. We needed to talk about education too. Mm. So that is one of the parts that launched this idea of education. And from surveys that we did, we learned that about 39% of women had some leakage issues with their menstrual cup or other products. And that's what spurred the innovation and the desire to start a company. Um, amazing. I already have so many questions. So did you go to India? 
I did not go, but I helped create some of the workshops and educational materials. Yeah. And what, what do, who needs educating on menstruation and what kind of education? (laughs) Yeah, that's, I think everybody. Um, (laughs) The answer is everyone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's surprising just um, going and teaching and creating these materials. I learned so much myself, Mm. first of all. And what we found, first of all, was the problem of talking about what a menstrual cup is, first of all. Mm. And then once we did that, we learned that a lot of the women didn't know basic anatomy, which I think a lot of us fall into that category. Mm. It's just sex education is an awkward time, it can be, and, and a lot of people are afraid to ask questions, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we had to back up and start from the beginning. And then it just expanded from there to talk about all different products and about menstrual disorders. So I think everybody needs to know more, but essentially, even in teaching young ladies and menstruators about their bodies, we've yeah. done a disservice and we don't know enough also. And is the menstrual cup popular in North India? It is not. So we kind of came to it from the environmental ecological benefit mm-hmm. so that it can be used up to 10 years. We wanted to just share that message as another option. Um, primarily pads and cloth are used in the rural areas of India. Um, more people are slowly making that transition in the urban areas, but definitely menstrual cups were a new thing for, for most of the people that yeah. we talked to. Menstrual cups, they cost about $25. So um, mm-hmm. are these women able to afford that? So in this grant, we bought a generic menstrual cup product and we sold it for about a fifth of the price to kind of match their Fantastic. income levels as well, mm-hmm. because definitely that's a huge expense. Yeah. So it's like $5 great. for 10 years of period, you know, uh, sanitation yeah. versus $5 for one month of pads. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It does pay off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It could. So you do this research in North India, you come back to Indiana and what do you do next? Is that when Menstrual Mates was born? So Menstrual Mates was born a little bit after the grant. So that Mm. grant was in 2018 and we came back to um, still in um, Oklahoma at the time and had an opportunity to start a business through the launch program in June of 2019. So we're coming up on a year. Great. Pretty close. And what do you guys work on? Yeah. So now we're working on with that data, improving and innovating right now, the menstrual cup and seeing if there are ways to address that leakage issue. Of mm-hmm. course, everyone's body is different. So we have to um, navigate that and directly who do we want to help with the leakage issue. But we also see that. Um, We want to help make it easier to insert and remove. And there are some companies innovating on that part too, but we feel like it's still a a big hurdle and a big learning curve for most people. It's why a lot of people don't want to go into that um, reusable product if they are looking for one first. Let's talk more about the cup. So so it is a little 
What material is it made out of? Usually they're made out of medical grade silicone. There's some made out of TPE, this thermoplastic, and there's one made out of latex. But I think most people are going the silicone route just for no allergies mm-hmm. and it's, it's more accepted. So women will take the cup, they kind of bend it, and then they insert it yeah. into their vagina. How far up does it go? Yeah, it sits in the vaginal canal, similar to a tampon, and it's below the cervix. The way you can situate it, of course, depends on the height of your cervix. Mm. You can cut off the stem, you can find the right size for you, for your body, but it should not stick out and it should be comfortable. You shouldn't be able to feel it once it's in. Oh, and how long does it stay in? Yeah, so you can use them for up to 10 hours, um, not needing to be changed more than that. Throughout the day, of course, if you have a heavy flow day, um, you'll probably need to change that more and just rinse it out and then it can be reinserted. But after every month, you'll need to boil it, sanitize it, just to make sure that um, it's clean for the next month. Got it. And what if, um, how do you know it needs to be changed? That's a great question. I think you can start to get a little bit of leaking if it's over full. And for sure, you need to change it before that 10 to 12 hour range is what they suggest Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. And can you sleep with it in? Yes, definitely. That's probably one of the biggest perks that I found. I remember sleeping with the tampon and just being scared to go over, you know, six to eight hours. I wanted to go switch it out. Mm-hmm. But with the menstrual cup, since you can leave it in for up to about 12 hours, it's fine to sleep with. Got it. And when you, if like, let's say you're exercising, like it just stays up in there? Yeah, yeah it can. So a lot of these are, have some holes in the top, just below the rim. Mm-hmm. And that mechanism, as well as the firmness of the, the lip of the cup, help cause this kind of a seal is what they call it mm-hmm. so that it will stay in place and suctions so that you will not leak as well as, you know, you can move around, do yoga, do exercise, huh. and you're good to go. And what if you're going to the restroom in like a, a public place? So like you take it mm-hmm. out, you like dump it in the toilet and you just put it back in or you have to wash it? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a big concern people have too, um, just how to navigate it. But I think um, what I do is just remove it. You can just dump it out in the toilet. And if you're not comfortable, like if you don't have a sink nearby, you don't want to walk out. You don't have to. You can use toilet paper and just wipe it out and reinsert it. Mm. If you have a water bottle, you can rinse it off, but Mm -hmm. it's not necessary. And there are some companies also making wipes so you could bring them in your purse or in your in your backpack got it got it wow this is really interesting what percentage of menstruating women use cups do you think yeah it's a very small percentage still i think i only have those numbers for the u.s but i've seen like three to four percent as you know it has been around since about the 1920s 30s Mm -hmm. but as we're starting and the movement is is growing to talking about different products and reusables, that number is slowly starting to creep up. But I think we're fighting against what we're used to, which is tampons and pads and and kind of what we were taught. 
Yeah. What do you think is um, these early adopters of using the Mm -hmm. cup? What do you think their main motivation is? Are they all environmentalists who are changing first or is there other reasons that women change to the cup? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that can be a main part. I think I hear that a lot, but other people, it was for sports, um, you know, just wanting to be able to have that 12 hour option mm-hmm. of not needing to reuse or to take it out and change it. That is also a, a big reason that I hear. And some also report comfort level, uh, meaning compared to the tampon, they cannot feel it when it's in because it is a flexible silicone. Mm. So it should mold to your body versus the cotton that kind of just expands and stays in place. Yep. Yeah. What do you think um, needs to change, if anything, about the cup for more women to start using it? Yeah, I think that's kind of twofold. So another part that we're working on is education. And I think we'll get into that in a bit. But the period guidebook is going to be a graphic novel that talks about periods and educates all people. You know, we're really going for this gender inclusive that is really important. And that I think will also help inform younger or new menstruators to know what the cup is and how to use it. I think a lot of people that I hear, college students as well, the big barrier is just how does it work? Will it get stuck in me? Mm-hmm. You know, all these different things that we hear, you know, is it hard to take out? So I think education is a big part of it. But we also want to innovate and offer a product that is easier to insert too. Um, maybe, you know, maybe some help with the fold and ensuring that it will stay in place once it's in. Mm-hmm. So Let's talk about we'll the period out. guidebook. So I saw that on your sure. website. What is the period guidebook? Yeah. You just said it's a it's a book, educational book. Tell us more about it. Yes, it's in the works currently, and it's about this sixth grader who starts her period in class, as many people have, and just follows her journey through um, this magical shell. And she gets transported into this land where she meets the menstrual mates. And they are her guides and teach her all about menstrual fluid, menstrual care, different products that she could use if she wants, and menstrual disorders as well. We're just kind of combining testimonials and surveys that we've heard of um, people who are menstruating or have, and just all the tips and tricks that they wish they knew back in the day. So we're trying to have a fun approach to the education in this graphic novel. We have had several people on the podcast that talk about menopause, and they wish that talking about mm-hmm. menopause actually started when we talked about periods like, Oh, and by the way, yes. one day it'll end. And the, here's some yes. of the things about it. Are you guys going to include that? Yes, definitely. I think that's important. And I've heard that as well many times. Oh, good. They are going to be so happy. Like, yeah, yeah. Here's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. They would say they, you know, Genev and Lisa health, we've had them both on the show and, you know, they mm-hmm. both said, it's like somebody tore out the last chapter of the period book, you know, like, why didn't anyone tell like the end of the story? That is so true. And I think that that just, you know, can add to the stigma again, just, mm-hmm. we don't know 
about it when it starts. We don't know about it when it ends. So I think that's very important to talk about. That's right. And how are you going to distribute this book? Is it going to be like at the library? (laughs) Like, How are you going to, you know, who's your target reader? Yes, target reader is about the 10 to 14 year old audience. And we're definitely working on some relationships with schools locally and after school programs like Boys and Girls Club, but those are in the works. Mm-hmm. And parent groups, I would love to be connected um, if anyone here listening has some connections too, because I know we're a health community, but that is that is where we're aiming toward. And the first product will be an ebook. And especially with this whole situation mm-hmm. going on, I think that'll help at least initially, um, to get some feedback and and see how the schools could use this in the curriculum. Definitely. Well, you know, I definitely suggest offering this book to any kind of group that's for single dads, because, you know, at least women have some context, right? But like, I have some single dad friends with daughters and they're like, I literally have no idea how I'm going to talk to them about this, you know, like, Yeah, I think that is something I've heard. It's, you know, rarer, but as we know in the U.S., the divorce rate is quite high, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just how it is. And I also started my period when I was at my dad's house. Mm -hmm. And I think having that is a great point that you made. And I think dads just having a resource to point to or yeah. to talk with, with their daughters would yeah. be great. And the dads could just read the book first too, yes. <laughs> right? They can educate oh, themselves. Yeah. Oh yes, definitely. Cool. Because I think even from the sex education talk, you know, boys and girls are separated mm-hmm. and we're told we're not supposed to know about this part and not supposed to know about that part. So I think even along the way, I've talked to many grown men in the, business space. And they were just telling me, you know, until I had a girlfriend or until I met someone who was very open about it, I would have never, never gotten that information. You know, you're taking me back to elementary school and I can remember (laughs) you're right. The boys were not in the room when we learned about periods. I don't know. I like totally forgot that you're right. They were not in the room. Yeah. I think it's, changing, but still in fourth grade, what I'm hearing, um, the sex ed curriculum, it's still being separated for that discussion. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We have so much work to do. (laughs) We have so much work. But there are people working on it. Yeah. We're all working together. (laughs) Do you have an expected date for your book? Cause we'll definitely promote it. Well, that would be awesome. Um, we're definitely hoping by the end of the summer. Okay. So yeah, we're just kind of Great. waiting on partnerships with this whole COVID-19, mm-hmm. but if everything goes as planned. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Well, um, speaking of COVID, I've been seeing a lot of articles coming out about, um, you know, if you don't have your period, it's okay. COVID is so stressful that there's massive <laughs> waves of women losing their periods because of that. Mm-hmm. Have you been reading and following that? I actually haven't, but that would make sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's uh, essentially, you know, Mm. as a scientist, I am always thinking about it through like a evolutionary lens and I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, you know, our bodies are like, please don't reproduce right now. Like (laughs) I don't even know what's happening, but it doesn't feel good. So, um, no eggs, no eggs this month, you know? Yeah. Yeah, That's really interesting. I want to look more into that. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
And let's talk about menstrual health and the advertisement space, if we can, for a second. So we know that on, you know, I've grown up my whole life seeing pad or tampon commercials where blood is magically blue for some (laughs) crazy reason. And, you know, it's so funny. I never questioned it until I got into femtech. And then I was like, oh, my God, you're right. Why the hell is it blue? We don't bleed blue, you know. Um, So. What what is your take on that? What are you experiencing in the menstrual industry in terms of marketing and advertising, not wanting to say the word period, not show blood? Like, let's talk about that. Yes. Great question. I think that just, again, demonstrates the taboo around the subject, which is everywhere. It's just globally. And I was surprised, you know, I did have the education in school, which a lot of people in other countries around the globe, in lower economic status, and in some of the discussions with women in India, we heard that they did not talk about that in school. Mm. And in fact, some textbooks, those pages were taken out, which is very concerning. But yeah, I think, again, it just goes back to society. And I think it's religious, it's cultural, it's how we want to frame, you know, what's acceptable or not. But I think that definitely confuses and contributes to the stigma. And as a young lady, if you're seeing that or a young menstruator, you already associate it with they don't want to show menstrual blood or menstrual fluid. Yes. Because it's, it's not okay to be shown on TV. Mm-hmm. So definitely I see that. And also I was reading something interesting just that the paradox it's that you're supposed to keep it a secret but yet in the commercial the girl is so happy and <laughs> you know actively and carefree yeah as even you know some of the names are called so it's it's kind of it doesn't work it doesn't add up yeah so for sure something we need to work on definitely yeah i am just um you know, I think to myself, like, is it a policy issue? Like, do we need legislation changed or Mm -hmm. isn't it an opinion issue? Is it that Mm -hmm. there's no written down rule about these types of things like marketing women's health and wellness products, but is it just the person who reviews it that has an opinion about it and says, no, 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 we're not going to approve this. Right. And because when I ask, okay, what can we do about it? I still am, I still don't know the answer. Do we need to go to the law and the government and like change policies or do we need to go to individuals and change their opinion? Yeah, that's, I think both, of course, (laughs) but I think right now what we're seeing with the movement and there's more press and more attention being given to the activists, I think that's the way that we are making that legislation change. So I know period equity is a really big group that's working on laws in terms of the tampon luxury tax. Uh And also a very concerning one here is about the non-disclosure of ingredients in menstrual products. And that's something that I think one or two states have overturned, but in most places, they don't need to disclose information or the ingredients on your tampon or pad. Wow. I didn't even know that really. So like 48 States, like you don't have to disclose what ingredients are in this product that you are inserting into your very absorbent body part (laughs) for six hours at a time. Yes. 
Isn't that concerning? It is concerning. Is there things that women should be concerned about in like, is it not a concern because all tampons are good and clean and whatever, Mm -hmm. or should we be like, no, 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 this is an issue. I I don't think that it's something we need to be alarmist about. Mm -hmm. And as we know with the tampons and toxic shock syndrome, that carboxymethylose was taken out and that rely tampon was discontinued. However, I think just the fact that we're not able to see all those things, all the ingredients and test it, Mm -hmm. that is, it's something we need to push for just to make sure, like we don't know unless we have the ability to test. So, you know, also toxic shock syndrome is created in the environment of an inserted vaginal device. So I think it's not something that we need to be alarmist again about, but just to know. And what the advice I've been hearing across the board in the science world is just to make sure you see the type of tampon for your flow, not to use a super absorbent if you're on a light day, and just make sure you're not using it for longer than that uh, recommended time. That's just very important. And just for the record, let's talk about Mm -hmm. toxic shock syndrome. So what was that? When was it happening? Did people die? Like what, what, tell us the story about that. Yes. So this was, I'm probably not going to get the date correct, but let's say a couple decades ago. And when the rely tampon was on the market, Mm -hmm. this was marketed as a super absorbent to allow you to move freely and and not worry about the leakage issue. And it was supposed to be a step up from the the tampons that were already on the market. And the problem was, is that the chemicals that were put into the cotton to absorb extra turned out to be very harmful and would also harbor staphylococcus bacteria and just kind of create the environment if someone um, was holding that bacteria to be able to induce toxic shock syndrome. So it was very rare, but I do believe about 13 people died. Wow. And so, and it wasn't necessarily the chemical that caused it. It was that the chemical permitted in um a space for bacteria Uh to grow to such a volume that that is what caused the toxic shock interesting i didn't even know Mm -hmm. that whoa 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 interesting wow that is also freaking sad and like and you know it's it's for me it goes back also to when products are tested are they actually tested on women And Mm -hmm. are women's symptoms taken seriously in these tests? Or they said, you know, oh, this woman is, she must just be sensitive. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this Mm -hmm. isn't actually an issue. Put the product out to market. You know, we see so much of that. Right. I think you just said it exactly that the lack of testing Mm -hmm. and the dismissal of many voices has has led to this issue. I would love to see if, um, if they you know, I'm sure there's some reports or blogs somewhere about this, like 
did rely that tampon company even mm-hmm. tested at all? And if they did, <laughs> was it on more than 10 women? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, was it how, what were their experiments? You know, like, did they even do yeah. it? You know, it's interesting. That's a great question. I, I don't know, but I have a resource that might, if you've heard of toxic shock by Dr. Shara Vostral, she's written a lot about this issue and the oh. history of products on I might be able to find it there. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Learning. <laughs> Jeez. My goodness. Yeah. Do you think like, um, you know, menstrual cup may be the most clean option for women, like the least amount of chemicals? You know, I can't say that mm-hmm. because I think the amount of research is just lacking. Yeah. I think that's something we also want to do as a company with our research and innovation is to do put in that work and make sure that we test and menstrual cups, you know, they have been reported to be less allergenic. They don't have the chafing and rashes that might be happening with tampons because the rough surface can, you know, irritate Mm -hmm. um, the vaginal canal when you take it out. So that is a plus. And there are definite pluses. Um, and I think it's just something that needs to be questioned. We yeah. shouldn't take anything just to be the best, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's something we want to do. Too. And I noticed on your website, you actually have like a portal for people to like submit suggestions on the menstrual cup. So it seems like you're mm-hmm. almost crowdsourcing ideas. Is that like a yeah. company culture thing? Or what is that about? Because I feel like a lot of companies are like, oh, this is our secret proprietary idea. And you're taking a, hey, what's your idea? Let's work together on it. Yeah, definitely. That's something we want to foster is community and just acknowledging everybody is different. We're also in the beginning stages, so we can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that might change as we hone in on a design, but right now it's still open and we are going to be putting up some more surveys and would love to have people um, send in some opinions. Yeah. And experience that's the research. That's the research, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, this has been really awesome. Is there anything else you want to uh, have our listeners know about um, your company, Menstrual Mates? Yeah, I think a couple last things is, so in addition to normalizing menstruation as our main goal, You know, we're also committed to our feminist business values, which basically just translates to helping the environment. So sustainable products and in our distribution and our whole line, that's something we are striving to do and want to change, flip the script of how business is usually done, as well as a social give back. We're looking at some options in the future and as period poverty is is a big issue as well. Uh, We also just want to be supporting those voices that aren't being heard, especially in the LGBTQ community. I think we also want to stand with them and people who menstruate can be women and and they may not. So that's also. I love that. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, the, I had an interview recently with um, the, chief research and innovation officer at menstrual health hub. And we had a probably 10 minute debate on this podcast about, is it female health or women's health? 
and mm-hmm. some it it's both depending on what you are talking about. And right. for menstrual health, she says it's most if it's a product that's having to do with the vagina, it's female health because you may be a female born but identify as a man. And so it's just like, who, who's ever menstruating, (laughs) you know, that's who we're addressing. Yeah. That's, that's really important. Just having inclusive language. And I think it's changing as, as things move on and we're here to just help people and hearing more voices who haven't been heard before. That's right. Well, we have a lot of listeners that are aspiring femtech founders um, Mm -hmm. looking for ideas for things to work on. What is an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating? Yes. Great question. I think there are many. So as we know, just as society has been portraying that women's bodies are something that need to be managed and that need to be controlled. So I'm sure that that translates in many areas, especially in reproductive health, sexual health, and again, just the lack of research. Mm. So I think in any product that you choose or find a pocket of a need, I think it's important just to make sure you share the studies that you do mm. and make sure that, that that's getting out to the public. Yeah. So maybe there could even be, it's not necessarily that they need to make a femtech product, but maybe what they do is they create a supply chain management system or a research you know, facility or group that specializes in women-centered research for, Mm -hmm. you know, other femtech founders that need that done. Yeah, that would Mm. be wonderful. Mm. And I'm starting to see a few pop up here and there, but definitely I think that will help as I've heard this argument that doing research specifically for women or including women, it takes longer because you need to account for women's menstrual cycles. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've heard is like getting the funding for different things oh. is actually more costly for time and money. But I think in order to level and catch up with all the science that has been lost, we really need to have foundations that support that too. Wow. You are so right. I didn't even think of that. And also like, um, you know, based on a woman's cycle, like you may or may not be able to, you know, you know, if we're doing a menstrual product, you got one week a month with a woman (laughs) to test it out. Right. And your group of 100 women aren't all going to have the same week necessarily. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's a good way Think, you know, cause sometimes I'm like, this is just crazy. People hate women. And then I'm like, all right, they still may not prioritize us, but I'm, I'm collecting the data, the whole story as to why we have been ignored in research, you know? Yes. It's not an yeah. excuse, though. It's not an excuse, but I understand right. it more now, you know? Like, okay, mm-hmm. all right, okay. And yeah. and what do you think our industry, our femtech industry needs the most right now to be successful? Yeah, I think what I wanted to say to that is If you see a need and have the research, I think that's what we need to show to the community. I think supporting each other and collaboration is really important. Mm. And because there is a bigger goal here um, in this whole realm. And also to honor people's choices. So, you know, to use the technology or to not. I think that that's also an important 
thing to talk about because again, first being informed, but then also having the choice to use it or not. Yeah. I love it. Well, this has been so much fun, Cindy. I have learned so much about menstrual cups. You answered a lot (laughs) of my questions. I don't have to Google things anymore. I just invite people for interviews. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am going to be so excited when your book launches. Definitely let us know when that's out. Um, I think it's a really important initiative. And uh, thank you so much for what you do, Cindy. Thank you. Dr. Barreto. I really appreciate it. Great. Well, I will talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to my interview with Cindy Bellardo, CEO and founder of Menstrual Mates. It was such an amazing conversation talking about period poverty and, you know, you don't have to be a woman to have a uterus necessarily. I am, you know, a proud supporter of the LGBTQIA community. And, you know, this, these types of conversations are, are really important to me in our community. And so I was so glad we were got to touch on that. Now, let's continue to dispel the taboo around menstruation by talking about periods. Support Menstrual Mates' mission by going to their website, www.menstrualmates.com. If you love this podcast, share it with a friend, share it on your LinkedIn, your Instagram, your Facebook, and follow us at Femtech Focus. Give us a five-star review and a little comment about why you love it so much. And until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.